moral issues any other way than sinfully because they do not have Jesus. And so they don't supremely need a new perspective on social and moral issues. We don't need to necessarily focus all of our energy on, on, on dictating to them how they need to live, but they need a new perspective on sin. And they need a new perspective on their life, and they need a new perspective on their need for Jesus. And so from this, their lives will naturally be changed. And so this morning, I want us to actually peer into the church. I want us to actually peer into the church, the redeemed of God, and see that the sanctity of marriage has also been devalued. We're seeing a desensitizing in the church today among believers on a proper view of marriage and the roles involved in marriage. You know, we have often traded the commitment of marriage for an emotion. When we don't feel that emotion anymore, we want out. We've traded the covenant to faithfulness, no matter what, for happiness. And so when we aren't happy anymore, at the end of the day, we want our happiness to be supreme. You know, we have traded the vows to honor our spouse and serve them above our own lives for self-centeredness and for a throne that we place ourselves on and where we make all of our decisions, not on what is best for us as a couple or my spouse, but what is best for me. And we find ourselves running to the courts for separation much quicker than running to the cross for reconciliation. So because of this, I want us to dig into God's word and to see what he desires to teach us about the roles in marriage and the covenant of marriage. And Paul wrote this passage we're going to look at this morning to the church at Ephesus, a very uh, cultural area that had lost a a proper view. And what he would teach would be very counterculture to what the society and the culture of that time in Ephesus would have embraced, much like it is in our culture today. And so as we approach his word this morning, I want us to do so in a way that is an understanding that no matter what culture may define for us, what marriage should look like according to culture, we need to know the truth from God's word. And so this morning, I don't want you to hear my words. And this, we, have, we, have, we have not backed away from taking difficult uh, questions all throughout this questions with clarity. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to dive in to see what God's word is to us this morning. And I want to say that above all things, that the grace of God covers all things. And so no matter what we look at, you may say, I mean, I'm failing as a husband, I'm failing as a wife. We're going to look at the grace of God this morning as well. And so as we do this, for the sake of time, because we have a lot of information in a short amount of time, there are a couple of exclusions that I want to say at the beginning that I'm not going to get to. I want to tell you these exclusions because not that I don't think that they're important, because I think they are, and I think they are critical pieces to this. And I hope later in the fall to come back and talk specifically about these issues and, and, and unpack them in greater detail. And though we will allude to them uh, somewhat in the context of just looking at the biblical calling in marriage, I think we're going to also see this morning that we're not going to be able to completely unpack these. And so I wanted to share these to, so that I, I'm not overlooking them, but intentionally knowing we don't have time to unpack this. First of all, that we will not go dive deeply uh, specifically into divorce. Our discussion today will clearly set up God's plan for us in marriage and in his design. But we recognize that sometimes that is disrupted and I believe that God speaks clearly to us in that matter. But uh, this morning I hope to be able to look at what, uh, what marriage should look like according to God's word. And for the sake of time, we won't be able to go dive into that very deeply. Second, is gonna be the physical part of marriage. Because of the varying ages and appropriateness in this room, we're, I hope to speak specifically in a different context sometime about this because I think the Bible speaks very specifically about that, that as well. And both inside the church and outside the church, we've allowed the lines concerning this to kind of, this topic to blur and we've lost sight of God's design for this. But this morning, we're not going to be able to dive into that. 
Also, we're not going to be able to dive into specific advice. I can't possibly speak a specific word into each of your situations. But I hope that as I lay a blanket understanding of God's calling in marriage, that hopefully it'll speak specifically to your life and to your circumstances. Uh, Finally, same-sex marriage. Uh, We don't have time to unpack all this. I believe God's plan for marriage is between a man and a woman. And so this sermon this morning is going to consider that these instructions were meant for a relationship by God's design. We're not talking about man's design. We're talking about God's design for marriage. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about that and the specific roles between husband and wife. But my goal this morning is not to discuss what marriage should not be, but to discuss what we see as a benchmark in God's word in marriage. So let's dive into this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. I want to read together these words. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Will you pray with me? God, we need your, your wisdom this morning. I don't have the answers. I don't have the words sufficient. I don't have the perfect role. I don't perform the perfect role of a husband to mirror. But God, we need you. We need you to teach us this morning. We need you to help us to be able to put aside our own wishes and desires and look into your word and be sanctified through it this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Foundation number one. We've looked each week at some foundations. Foundation number one that I think we see from this passage that is critical is that the purpose of marriage is the glory of God. The purpose of marriage is the glory of God. Look back at the text. Paul begins by encouraging wives to display a visible example of submission to God through submission to the husband. Now, husbands are encouraged to love their wives as a visible display of the glory of God in the church, ultimately displayed through Jesus. So we are to nourish and treasure the relationships we have with each other because it shows the glory of God and how he cares for and provides for his church. Everything comes back to the glory of God. And when we see this, we see that marriage exists more for God than it does for us. Let me say that again. Marriage exists more for God than it does for us. But yet we don't often see this in our marriages. We see quite the opposite. We see the purpose of marriage as ultimately a benefit to us. We see that God clearly paints a picture in this text of his glory being displayed through marriage, that his glory is what is seen through this. Now, in the Christian world, we read books and books and books and how-tos on on how to communicate better in marriage. We go to marriage conferences and we do studies to help us to see how to be a better husband or how to be a better wife and and our wives to to be better to their husbands. And at the end of the day, our goal is for an increase in our happiness in the context of our marriage. That what we ultimately want through these things is to learn more about how to live a very content and calm and happy life. And while books and conferences and studies are incredible, I've been through many of them and benefited from them, we must see that we are not at the center and that marriage is not supremely about us. 
But yet we live in a Christian culture where circumstances change and life loses its shimmer. And rather than fighting for our marriages so that we display the glory of God in marriage, we opt out. Despite study after study on marriage, we're still seeing a rise in divorce and unfaithfulness. And what I believe we find here is that even though God, who is the creator of marriage, gives us a very clear teaching and instruction from his word about what marriage should look like and what our roles should look like in marriage, we push beyond the sufficient word and we want to search into more practical advice and opinions that can speak more specifically to us in our very tangible situation. So I understand what God's word says, but we want something deeper than that. We want to know something more that can kind of help me with my day to day. And so we're pushing beyond what the creator of marriage has to say on the matter and learning more from man's interpretation. So church, we have to see this morning that the starting point of our marriages, if it is what is best for me, what makes me the happiest, then we have missed the foundation for which marriage exists. Instead, we look at our relationships and we ask, what is best for God in our marriage and what brings him the most glory? And we know that God created companionship for us. When we look into the garden, we see that he said, Adam, it is not good that you be alone. And he formed Eve. So we know that even our companionship was a gift to us, but we know that ultimately it is for a display of the glory of God. So I ask you, first of all, does your marriage relationship, does it speak of the glory of God to the world around you? But there's a second foundation. Foundation number two, the provision in marriage is the grace of God. So the foundation number one is that the the purpose of marriage is the glory of God. Foundation number two is that the grace, the provision in marriage is the grace of God. The entire passage in Ephesians 5 points us to the provision of God through Jesus Christ. So here's where it becomes reality in marriage. Marriage is the union of two sinful and fractured and fallen people. Now, if you go to the self-help section of the local bookstore, you'll find information on all variety of things that are not the root of the problem in marriage. How to be a better communicator. How to deal with your in-laws. How to balance your time when your kids come in the picture. How to deal with past problems in life and situations. And while these do arise and they do present obstacles, we must see that we are sinners in need of grace. Your spouse or future spouse is a person in need of grace. They're sinful people. And this is the beauty of God's grace seen through our marriages. How do we forgive each other despite the terrible things we say to each other? Grace. How do we show patience to each other when our patience has run out? Grace. How do we love each other when sometimes if we are honest, we are just unlovable? How do we fight fair? How do we have uh, disagreements and do it well? By the grace of God. We see that the beauty of marriage is dependent on grace. So that our failures, our failures should not lead us to giving up. Our failures should not lead us to push further and further away from each other. But instead, our failures should lead us to the needed and offered grace of Jesus Christ. That is essential even in our marriage. So the beauty of God's grace is that it is our hope in all of life, including our marriages. So that's an incredible foundation, but there's a third foundation. So not only is the purpose, the glory of God, and the provision, the grace of God, but the priority in marriage is the gospel of God. The priority in marriage is the gospel of God. Let me explain this just a bit. If you look back at our text in Ephesians, it says, husbands love their wives supremely because of why? Because it reflects our understanding of how Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. It's a picture of the gospel. So husbands, when we don't lead our homes well 
and we don't lead our children well, and we don't love our wives well, and we, and we don't have her sanctification in the front of our minds, then we are painting a picture to the world of a Savior who does not lead his church well, who does not love his church above all things, and who does not see our holiness as a priority in his life. That's the picture that we are painting. Wives, when you don't submit your life to the leadership of your husband, but instead you take charge and you rob him of his God-given role, then you are painting a picture to the world of a Savior who is not leading his church. That the church knows better than Christ. And you may say, but he is an idiot, and he may be. But he has no idea how to lead your home. You may say, somebody's got to do it. But he is a person who has been saved by grace, who has been filled with the Holy Spirit and has by, by God's design been given a role that he alone has been wired to fulfill. So the question in marriage is not who is going to lead our home well. The question is, will he lead our home well? It's a picture of the church. You know, our kids used to come up to us all the time and to paint different pictures and, and, uh, and it'd be, oh, it's beautiful, what is it? You know, they had a predetermined picture in their mind. And though it, they may have been drawing a, a house, it looked like a blob. But the question was, it was still a house, it's just not a very clear picture of a house. And that's the way we give it the gospel. It's not a question of what we will paint and the picture we will paint. It's just how well we will paint the picture for the world. So church, by God's design, is the picture of what, through marriage, of what the church will look like. It's been predetermined. And I want to give you a little practical advice for just a moment. Husbands, if you're unfaithful to your wives, then you're giving a picture to the world that Jesus is unfaithful to his church. If we push our wives back and abandon them, we're showing the picture to the world that Christ will push his bride back and abandon her. Wives, if you desire other things instead of your husband, then you are painting a picture to the world that Jesus is not enough for the church. If you're disrespectful to your husband, you are showing the world that the church can be disrespectful to Jesus. This is critical for us to grasp as a church and as families. There is an incredible responsibility for us in this. The glory of God, the grace of God, and the gospel of God will be presented in some way to the world. Either he will be seen as glorious and gracious and sufficient by how well you show the world the picture of the gospel through your marriages, or he will be seen as insignificant and greedy and insufficient. So we must see this morning some foundational truths that marriage exists, first of all, for the glory of God. That marriage is only possible through the grace of God. And finally, we must see that the picture we are painting is that the, the, the picture we are painting in marriage is the gospel of Jesus. That is what guides us in marriage. But now there's some exhortations I want to give you this morning that are a little more, little more practical, understanding those foundations. I want to ask you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. So understanding this context, we have to see that if we're going to understand marriage properly, we're going to mess up, we need, grace, we need the grace of God, but we're going to understand very clearly that God has told us what the picture of marriage will look like. He created it, it's his design, and so no matter if we have differences of opinions or not, we have to look to his word and we have to see that, all right, God, you created marriage, you're the author of life, you have said this is what marriage will look like, this will be the picture to the world. So we have to see that, embrace that as biblical from God's word. But then I think we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, some exhortations this morning that I want to encourage you with. 
And the first thing I want us to encourage, I want to be an encouragement to you as, as wives and, potential, and future wives. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So what's going on here? What can we draw from this passage that I believe is a general exhortation to you as a wife, future wife? First of all, I think we see the word submission. Submission is a dislike word in our culture. So what's going on here is, is, is previously in this letter, Peter has written and he has told them what's, he's saying, look, this is what it looks like to be in submission to authorities. This is what it looks like to be in submission to government officials and human institutions, servants being in submission to their masters and, and, and submission to leaders in the church. And then this letter shifts and how a wife is to be subject to her husband. Now I believe that this scripture is speaking into the role of of a woman. Men and women are created equally, but as I've shared with you throughout this series, they are created equally, but with very distinct roles. So a wife, as we see in, as we saw in Ephesians, is to submit herself to her husband the way the church would submit to Christ. But then we get to this passage in 1 Peter, and if you dig deep, to me, if you dig really deep, this is not supremely about submission. This passage of scripture is about submission, And I'm not downplaying God's design for how that makes marriage work correctly. I just don't think that that is what is supreme here in this passage. I want us to dig a little deeper into that. Because what I believe is supreme in this text is that a woman is instructed here to to, to not find her hope in anything but God. To not place her hope in anything other than God. Let me talk a little bit about this. So the initial instruction here is for wives to be subject to their husbands. For what purpose? So they can be a doormat, so he can push her around, so they can be seen as inferior to their husband? No, but look what it says. So their conduct will preach the gospel of Jesus. So that their conduct and behavior will preach the gospel of Jesus. Do you see this? He says that you be subject to your husbands. We know what this looks like among believers, but he says that even if you're an unbeliever, if if your spouse is an unbeliever, your conduct will preach the gospel and maybe they'll be brought to salvation in Jesus because of your conduct. But as we look further at this played out, he continues by instructing a woman to not put her hope in a couple of things. So not only does he say, don't put your hope in anything but God, but he says, here's a couple of things that you need to be aware of that you don't need to put your hope in. And the first thing I think we see is in an outward appearance. Now, let me just tell you, for those of you who braided your hair this morning, this is not about (laughs) braiding your hair, okay? Let's just read this through the lens of the culture of that time and you can relax, okay? But what we see here, I believe, is an appeal to modesty, to the development of the inner beauty over the outer beauty. We live in a culture that is completely focused on the outward appearance. If men and women today spent half of their time focused on spiritual development as they did in the gym, in front of the mirror, and in the clothing stores, we would see a major emphasis and change on the inner person. 
You know, cosmetic surgery to change the temporary appearance is on the rise and women find value in the outward appearance more so than in the inner. Now, I want you to hear me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wearing nice clothes and getting in shape and putting makeup on, okay? It's not a pill to look, to look homely or to neglect the outward appearance. I firmly believe that as disciplined people, I believe that our lives will be shaped holistically by discipline in Christ. But what I think it is saying here, this is an appeal to not preach the message of your life by being overly concerned and putting your hope in the outward appearance. Proverbs 31 describes what a godly woman looks like. It says she is clothed with strength and dignity. And a man who finds this kind of wife praises her and has found a great treasure. 1 Timothy 4.8 says that for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I think Peter is saying here, ladies, as a wife, he starts out by saying, submit to your husband. We're going to backtrack to get to there in just a minute. But I think he's telling us here, don't put your hope in anything else other than God. Don't put it in outward beauty. And secondly, not to put your hope in a man. Hmm. I'm going to pick on the guys in just a bit, but ladies, do not, do not believe what Hollywood is selling you about love and relationships. No man can complete you. No man can make you completely satisfied. We will let you down. We will hurt your feelings. We will leave you desiring more. Put all your hope in your spouse is to put an incredibly weighty responsibility that he was never intended to fulfill, nor can he ever fulfill. He cannot. Should you desire romance and should you desire affection? Absolutely, but don't put all of your hope and happiness in it. You know, men are sinners. Just waiting on the amen. <laughs> but even the very best ones, even the best of them, are one bad day from coming home and hurting your feelings and failing you. Put your hope only in God. So with this understanding here that only God can satisfy, then I think that's where Peter is coming back. He doesn't just leave submission kind of dangling out there, but I think understanding that context, he is saying your instruction is, to, is not to submit to man nor to any random man like you're a second-class citizen, but to submit to your husband. Women, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. So what does this look like in the context of marriage? And I've got to be very brief here. Number one, I think we see this it's through respect. Proverbs 21.9 says this, It is better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21.19. Guys, I'm going to get you in just a minute, so hang on. <laughs> Proverbs 21.19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So ladies, don't be a constant... Nag, this is not God's design for you. God says in his word that if you're this kind of wife, it is better for your husband to live on the roof of your home. Now, I'm just telling you, according to God's word, even if he is a moron, God feels sorry for him that he has to live with a wife who belittles him constantly. This is just truth from God's word. Now, our culture plays this off as, as well, she, you know, just, it's kind of humorous or it's just a progressive thing. We're just, we're a prog in a progressive culture now. This doesn't apply anymore. But again, we're, we're going counterculture with the truth of God's word. 
And the question we must ask ourselves is, is this a clear picture of the gospel? God's design is that you would respect your husband. And, and secondly, to keep yourself pure. You know, a woman here acts toward her husband from a pure heart. She doesn't spend her time fantasizing about what it might look like to be married to someone else who is more romantic or who doesn't have the weaknesses that her husband has. But she approaches him very pure with a pure heart. And I want to get to this final thing, and then I want to address the men, but I want to address what it means to have a gentle and quiet spirit. I love the phrasing there. This is not an instruction for the wife to be quiet and cook dinner and not say anything. That's not what is being said here. I want to try to explain it like this. When your husband is not leading your home well spiritually, is your response to gently encourage him by asking him to pray with you, pray for you about something, asking him to explain something biblically to you? You know, I have, our, our, uh, Carmen does a good job often of, uh, you know, she, she trusts me to lead our home well, and there's some times where I'm not, and the kids want to pray, and then rather than saying, well, I'll pray with you so your dad won't, she says, you want to come pray with us? Will you come pray and lead us in this time? So see, it's a, it's a, it's a quiet spirit towards him. Do you see the difference there? A woman with a gentle and quiet spirit will engage her, way, her husband in a way that encourages him, that encourages him to be the man that God has called him to be. Now, for many of you in this room, you're single. You would gladly be a submissive wife. But God's plan for you right now to this point is to not be in a relationship maybe. But let me tell you a couple things about, about what I would encourage you to do in this respect. First of all, focus on your sanctification and your pursuit of holiness. Not to get a husband. Not so that God will reward you with companionship. But because you see him as supreme in your life. In this time of singleness, you have no distractions. You can immerse yourself completely in your relationship with God and trust him that he knows how to give his children good gifts. He knows what he's preparing for you. So focus on your sanctification and pursuit of holiness. Second, open up your life to be mentored by a godly wife and let her model for you and mentor for you and lead you towards a deeper understanding of what it means to live out the role of a wife the way God intended. Watch how she responds to her husband. And when she doesn't respond correctly, watch the grace that is extended in marriage. Watch how, how, how she responds to her kids and how she graciously is a mother to them. Listen to her wisdom, absorb it and take it in. And finally establish the non-negotiables. And a husband from God's word, so that no matter how cute he is and how good looking he is, you will not settle for anything less than God's best for you. Hear me this morning before I move on to the guys. If a guy doesn't love God supremely, he will never be able to love you correctly. If, if, God, if a man does not love God supremely, he will not be able to love you correctly, okay? So let me give a word to the guys this morning. Let's read on, and we're, gonna, we're wrapping this up, so hang with me. Verse seven, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
So guys, we are so simple-minded that we get a sentence, okay? But this, this pounds so much punch for us. We have to carry the, there's a heavier weight, I believe, in this one sentence than in the whole paragraph instruction to, to, to wives. And I want you to hear this. First of all, men, an exhortation for you as a godly husband is considerate. A godly husband is considerate. Now, I'm, I'm teaching you that some things that have been pounding on me this week, okay? So don't get like, I've got this, and so my wife's a perfect t- testimony of how well I do these things. These are things, that, this is almost, these points are almost like an open confession to you. But a godly husband is considerate, so I'll just tear off the Band-Aid here, okay? It stings for me too, so we'll just suck it up. The phrase, live with your wives in an understanding way, means to be considerate in your love for her. Now, the Greek word for this, I believe, would be get up off the couch. (laughs) Your fantasy football team will wait. They will perform well without you. You know, marriage is a partnership. And your wife, my wife, has a soul that needs to be nourished. They have emotions that need to be loved. And a mind and a body that needs rest. Our culture tells us that a man is to work hard. And so we have some kind of right to come home and just turn on the TV and veg until supper is ready. And then when supper is ready, we eat. And then we go watch Monday night football while she cleans the kitchen and bathes the kids and puts them to sleep. This is not what it means to live with your wife in a considerate way. Very practically, listen, if she cooks, help out with the dishes or bathe the kids, pick up the house. If she pulls into the driveway with groceries, help her bring them in. You know, now we've, we've talked about leading her well, but this is about loving her well. A submissive wife is not a slave to us. You see that? Biblical submission in marriage is not doormat. She's not a slave to you. She has a soul, and we are to love her in a very considerate way. That's by God's design. So this morning, we have some challenge in that. You know, if your wife has been home with the kids all day and you have been working, be considerate in your love for her. Yeah, you're tired, but so is she. She's been busy too. Help her. Help her in this partnership. And I think we see a second thing here, and that is that we honor her as the weaker vessel. Let me explain this really quickly. This doesn't mean that our wives are incapable. This carries the same meaning as how we would handle fine china or porcelain. So so you're to treat your wife with the same care that you would, would, would treat a very breakable and a very fine dish. So how, how do we often miss on this? How do we find ourselves missing on this? Guys, our words... Our words cut. And for us men to talk down to our wives or treat them as inferior is to miss the verse and the calling in our life to honor her as the weaker vessel. So you're to treat your wife with the same care that you would, you know, something very fine and breakable. And we're to honor her, give her the space that she needs to grow in her spiritual giftedness and to exercise and use them for the glory of God. Give her that space to do that. You know, when you are tired in the evenings, take the baby and change the diaper so she can have five minutes alone to get a shower. Serve her well, honor her. But I think we see from here 
that there's a little bit deeper push because to look a little deeper here, why do we honor them? This is what's clear to us. Peter says, why should you honor her? You know, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, man, you don't have to live with her. I'm just telling you that God has not given us conditional relationships here. He is saying right here, honor them because why? Because they are heirs with you. Is there clear leadership? Absolutely. And there can be a, a misalignment in that. But you can have equals and still have a leader. So one day you're going to stand before God as equals, co-heirs of the kingdom of God. And we must never be abusive, whether it be emotionally or mentally or physically, of a daughter of God. She is a co-heir with Christ along with you. And then one day we will stand before God and, 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 and we will put in a, give an account for this. And secondly, Scripture teaches us not only do we treat her as a co-heir, but we also we, 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 we honor her because Scriptures teach us that it will hinder our prayers. Now, we don't have time to really dig, dig really deep anymore. We're out of time here. But let me just tell you this. First Timothy, uh, it goes on to say this isn't just that, that he won't pray, that a husband won't pray, pray, but Scripture says that there is an interruption in prayer life when we do not honor our wives. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says here. Look at, uh, let me read for you 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 through 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? This is critical. Men, God instructs us that our ability to be qualified to lead the body in this church will be how well we love and lead our homes and manage our household. So this is a very critical piece to God. Now to single men. I want to lay some groundwork for you. First of all, focus on your sanctification and holiness. Why should we ever expect God to entrust us with the leadership of a spouse when we aren't pursuing him above all things? And we can't kid ourselves this morning. God is a jealous God, and he is not going to bless you with someone that you're going to worship over him. It's not happening. He's not going to do it. So first of all, focus, just like I said to the ladies, focus on your sanctification and holiness. Second, you know, guys, protect your eyes and your thoughts. I want you to just listen to me. Sins of the eyes are doing more damage than you think. Future damage. You know, a woman is not something for you to devour with your eyes. You need to be careful to guard this right now in this time because I'm going to tell you, don't think that marriage will fix this false perception of women. It's dangerous. It's not a switch that you flip off. So in your singleness now, begin honoring and respecting women. Get a proper view of what a woman is and she is a co-heir with Christ and you're gonna one day hopefully be entrusted with one to lead well. Set that framework right now. And finally, treasure true beauty as described in God's word, not as described by culture. How can we help to reinforce women to be confident in who they are and who God is making them? We can describe beauty and ascribe beauty to what God is doing in their hearts. This is critical for us this morning. So in conclusion, as our band comes, I want to share just a couple of things. For many of you, this morning repentance needs to happen. Repentance needs to happen. The picture of the gospel to the world here is at stake. For some of you, husbands, you need to confess to your wife and repent for your lack of honor, your lack of consideration for her, and your lack of leadership in your home. This is not her job. God has given us the job of leading our homes.
So for some of you this morning, your confession before God and your wife is that you need to lead your home better. Women, wives, many of you need to repent of trying to fulfill this role that was designed for your husband. It has pushed you to be a woman that is not described the way that God, the way Peter described through, the, through God's word uh, this morning of what a woman is to look like in marriage. You need to confess and encourage your husband in those areas. And listen, ultimately, not for the sake of your marriage, but for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the glory of God, both in those around you and to all nations. That is the picture of biblical marriage for us. Let's pray together.